you stand with me for the reading of the passage? It's a very short, we've had a lot of reading this morning, but it's a very short passage. First John 5, 11 and 12. Let's read it together. Word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Years ago, there was a very, very wealthy man who, with his devoted young son, had a passion for collecting art. And together they traveled the world, adding only the finest treasures to their collection. Priceless works by Picasso, Van Gogh, Monet, and many others adorned the walls of their family estate. And so the widowed father looked with satisfaction as his only child became an experienced art collector. But then one day, war engulfed the nation, and the young man left to serve his country. After only a few short weeks, his father received a telegram saying his beloved son had been killed while rescuing a fellow soldier. On Christmas morning, a knock came at the door of the old man's home, and as he opened the door, he was greeted by a soldier with a large package in his hand. He introduced himself to the man by saying, I was a friend of your son, and I was the one who he was rescuing when he died. May I come in for a few moments? I have something to show you. I'm an artist, said the soldier, and I want to give you this. And the old man unwrapped a package, and the paper gave way to reveal a portrait of his son. Well, it wasn't, you know, the the best artwork. No one would say this was a genius, work of genius. But it did capture his features and his son's personality. The following spring, the old man became ill and passed away, and the art world was in great anticipation. According to the will of the old man, all the artworks would be auctioned. The day soon arrived and art collectors from around the world gathered to bid on some of the world's most spectacular paintings. The auction began with a painting that was not on anyone's list. It was a painting of the man's son. The auctioner asked for an opening bid and the room was silent. Who will open the bidding with $100, he asked. Minutes passed with no sound from those who came to buy And from the back of the room, somebody callously called out, who cares about that painting? It's just a picture of his son. Let's forget it and go on to the most important paintings. There were other voices which echoed in agreement, but the auctioner replied, no, we have to sell this one first. Now, who will take the son? Finally, a friend of the old man spoke. Well, I knew the boy, and I'd like to have it. I'll bid $100. $100, the auctioner said. Will anyone go higher? And after a long silence, the auctioner said, going once, going twice, sold to the bidder for $100. Cheers filled the room, and someone was heard to say, now we can get on with it. But the auctioner looked at the audience and announced the auction was over. Stunned disbelief quieted the room. Someone spoke up and asked, what do you mean it's over? We didn't come here for a picture of the old guy's son. What about all these paintings? There are millions of dollars worth of art here. We demand that you explain what's going on. And the auctioner replied, it's very simple. According to the will of the father, whoever takes the son gets it all. 
this is the essence of the Christmas story. Whoever takes the son gets it all. Newsflash, newsflash. God has given us eternal life, and the life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. So that's the Christmas story. But question, what exactly is included in the all? I think there's several things, and I'd like to suggest that the first thing means that, number one, we know what God is like. The coming of Christ gave us a living picture of who God is. Christ's coming put a face on God. I'd like to share with you right now a poem by one of the most famous African-American poets and writers. His name is James Weldon Johnson, and the poem is The Creation. And God stepped out on space, and he looked around and said, I'm lonely, I'll make me a world. And as far as the eye of God could see, darkness covered everything. Blacker than a hundred midnights, down in a cypress swamp. Then God smiled, and the light broke. And the darkness rolled up on one side, and the light stood shining on the other. And God said, that's good. Then God reached out and took the light in his hands and God rolled the light around in his hands until he made the sun. And he set that sun ablazing in the heavens and the light that was left from making the sun, God gathered up in a shining ball and flung it against the darkness, spangling the night with moon and stars. Then down between the darkness and the light, he hurled the world and God said, that's good. Then God himself stepped down and the sun was on his right hand and the moon was on his left. The stars were clustered about its head and the earth was under his feet. And God walked and where he trod, his footsteps hollowed out the valleys and bulged the mountains up. And then he stopped and looked and saw that the earth was hot and barren. So God stepped over to the edge of the world and he spat out the seven seas. He batted his eyes and lightnings flashed. He clapped his hands and thunders rolled and the waters above the earth came down. The cooling waters came down and then the green grass sprouted and the little red flowers blossomed. The pine trees pointed his fingers to the sky and the oak spread out his arms. The lakes cuddled down in the hollows of the ground and the rivers ran down to the sea and God smiled again and the rainbow appeared and curled itself around his shoulder. Then God raised his arm and he waved his hand over the sea and the land and he said, bring forth, bring forth and quicker than God could drop his hands. Fishes and fowls and beasts and birds swam the rivers and the seas, roamed the forest and the woods and split the air with their wings and God said, that's good. Then God walked around and God looked around on all that he had made and he looked at his son and he looked at his moon and he looked at his little stars and he looked on his world with all its living things and God said, I'm lonely still. Then God sat down on the side of a hill where he could think. By a deep, wide river he sat down. With his head in his hands, God thought and thought till he thought, I'll make me a man. Up from the bed of the river, God scooped the clay, and by the bank of the river, he kneeled him down. And there the great Almighty who lit the sun and fixed it in the sky, who flung the stars to the most four corners of the night, who rounded the earth in the middle of his hand, this great God, like a mammy bending over her baby, kneeled down in the dust, toiling over a lump of clay, till he shaped it in his own image. Then into it, 
he blew the breath of life and man became a living soul. Amen. Amen. So this God, this God put on flesh and became a man. The Bible says in Colossians, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. This is what we mean by the incarnation that God put on flesh. <laughs> Wrapped in human flesh, the God of heaven came to live among us that we could know what he is truly like. He came to teach us. He came to die for us that we might be forgiven. He rose from the dead to help us know that we too will be raised. He ascended to the Father to intercede for us. He promised that he would return so that eternal hope would burn in our hearts. He opened the doors of heaven. Can I get an amen this morning? Imagine with me what the world would be like if God, in the person of Jesus Christ, had never come. Huh. Well, think about it. We would not have beautiful expressions of music from composers like Bach and Beethoven. We would not have Handel's Messiah. Harvard and Yale would not exist because they were started as Christian institutions of higher learning. And the founders of these schools believed to study science was to study the work of God and to understand how he made his world. Many hospitals like St. Joseph's would not exist because they were started by men and women of compassion who believed in healing and in comforting because they themselves were healed and comforted by the transforming power of God. And so they started these institutions. There would be no YMCA. We would only have half of a Bible. Chapman College right here in Orange, which was founded as Hesperian College in 1861 in Woodland, California, by members of the Christian church, Disciples of Christ. This is what they say about themselves. We admitted men and women. Now, this is 1861. We admitted men and women and people of color from our earliest days. Hmm. We would not have the love of a personal God. God would never have visited the world, and we would have no hope of his returning to earth. There would be no Christmas, no gifts symbolic of God's greatest gift. There would be no Christmas carols or hymns. The world without Jesus would always be winter and never Christmas. That's why we sing Emmanuel. We sang it. We saw the words this morning. Emmanuel, God with us. He was with us 2,000 years ago, and he's with us right now in this present moment to show us what God is like. He was a friend of sinners and failures. His love and compassion to the outcasts of the world. He healed the sick and he raised the dead. He taught us not to use the values of this world to determine our worth. For he said, the last will be first and the first will be last. He taught us that our value to God was more important than what anybody else thinks about us. You know, friends, without an enterprise, a Christian enterprise called VBS, 
vacation Bible school. <laughs> My great-great-grandmother in Barbados would never have heard about Jesus and told her mother about Jesus and led her to Christ. And she, in turn, led her husband to Christ. And they became a Christian family. And out of that heritage, it produced a line of men and women who teach and taught the Bible. And I stand to you, stand here today before you as one of those who benefit because Jesus came. The coming of Christ gives us a living picture of who God is. Christ's coming put a face on God. So I cannot imagine what life be, would be like without the incarnation. Secondly, Advent promises new life because it means our sins can be forgiven. Let me say that again. It means our sins can be forgiven. Everybody shout, forgiven. forgiven. Now, I want you to think for a moment about the worst thing that you've ever done. The thing that makes your brain burn with shame. Then think of what it would be like if Jesus had not come and you could not be forgiven for your sin. You would never be relieved of your guilt. Condemnation would always be. But since Jesus came, forgiveness has come to those of us who have received the grace that Christ came to offer. We know the freedom that forgiveness brings. We can forgive ourselves and others because we have experienced liberating forgiveness that Jesus came to give us. My dad, the late Reverend Ralph Greenidge, was a great dad to me. He taught me about forgiveness. He led hundreds and hundreds of people to Jesus Christ. Uh, he was a pastor and evangelist, and even the last week of his life, while he was in a senior home, he put up a little notice on the bulletin board saying, a Bible study in the Gospel of Luke. And a woman resident came to that study, and she said to my dad, could I bring my daughter? And dad said, of course. And the daughter came the first week. The second week, he led them to Jesus Christ. The third week, he graduated to heaven. At his memorial service, the woman came up to me. She said, Pastor Henry, you don't know me. But I want you to know my life has been transformed because your dad shared, shared with me the good news that my sins could be forgiven. My dad was a great man. But I'm here to tell you, the last 15 years of my life with him was a living hell. He complained about me as the oldest child, oldest of eight. He was angry with me and petulant because when I, we started our church in Portland, I wouldn't let him preach often enough. He would say, I preached all over the country and you can't let me preach. And I said, well, Dad, I've got my two younger brothers that I'm training to be pastors. One is a pastor right now in Portland. And I need to give them an opportunity. I understand that, but you can. And he would rail on me. 
and complain. And when I would get in the car with him, he would say, you don't love me. You don't respect me. Ah, you're the oldest and I delegated authority to you and now you're the head of the family. No one really ever respects me anymore. Dad, what are you talking about? And then when I was in college, my first or second year, I made the mistake of coming home from Bible school. My dad hadn't gone to college, but he was proud that I went. And I made the mistake of saying to him, you know, at the school now, they, they use the Revised Standard Version. Nobody uses the King James Version anymore. Oh, my God. He would bring that up to me. Oh, I said, Dad, that was an ignorant, selfish thing for me to say as a youngster, and I've apologized to you over and over. Can't you forgive it? Can't you let it go? Oh, you're not serious about your apology. We go on and on. And so what I was, do, what I was doing was distancing, distancing myself from him. Have you ever heard that phrase, hurt people hurt people? My dad was hurt. His dad, when he was 11, died of cancer. And he had older brothers, but by the time he came along and needed them, they had long gone. And he was raised by all women, his mother, his auntie, older sisters. And he never had the fellowship of other men, strong men in his life. And because my dad was hurt, because I didn't understand and what I was trying to do was protect myself, I distanced myself from him and I failed to recognize. And I didn't recognize this until he was gone. And what my father needed from me was time. And when he was picking at me, he was really saying, son, I want your presence. Six months before he died, thankfully, we reconciled. And I'll never forget that last conversation I had with him. My mother and I went into his room, and I wheeled her in in her wheelchair, and we talked with him for two hours, and he had hardly anything to say. I thought, actually, I thought he was dead. He was laying flat. The lights were off. His food was there. No motion. I said, Dad. Yes. Would you like to eat? Yes, feed me. He could feed himself, but he wanted me to feed him. So I fed him. But he had little to say. But my dad was a chaplain in Portland Rescue Mission, and when one of the men, many men that he lives he had touched, came in to greet him, he perked right up and he started talking to them. So my mother and I looked at each other, and it was time for her to go for dinner. And so I said, Mom, let me get you back so you won't miss dinner. And so I said, my mom said, Ralph, we're leaving. Okay. And I wheeled her out. Just as I was leaving, my dad called my name. And he said, Henry, come back here again. And I came back. And he reached his hand out. And he grabbed my hand. He said, Henry, I just want you to know I'm so proud of you. Those were the words that I longed to hear from my dad. And many times I thought about the conversations that I wished I could have had talking to him about his family and his ministry choices. But because I didn't see what he really needed, I missed it. I was filled with shame about it. A pastor 
who goes out of his way to love others who couldn't spend time with his dad. But you know what? He forgave me. But more than that, God forgives me. Do I deserve it? No. But by grace, I receive it. For by grace, I've been saved. Through faith. It is a gift of God that I have not earned, but it's a gift that I receive. And so we discover what God is like. Discover that God can forgive. And then thirdly, we discover that the hope of heaven, heaven was made possible by Jesus. Think about what the world would be like if there was no hope of heaven. <laughs> what would you say at a funeral of a loved one if Jesus had not come? There would no, be no hope beyond the grave. You could not talk about heaven or any reason to hope for eternal life with God. Only the reality of dissolving into the night. But the Bible says this, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. If Jesus had not come, there would be no book of revelation, no hope for a returning Savior who would overcome the world and open heaven for us. There would be no hope of hearing the words, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. There would not be any hope of a resurrection, not even the concept of one. There would be no eternal life, nothing to anticipate Except closing the casket lid and the coldness of the grave. Hmm. But because Jesus came, all that changed. Hallelujah. We live in joyful anticipation of what is yet to come. Hear the words of scripture. Now the dwelling on God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the order of things has passed away. Glory to God. God has given us eternal life and that life is in his son. In his son. And he who has the son has life. By the way, those words of eternal life always intrigue me. You say eternal life, does that mean we're going to live forever? Well, at the end of the creation poem, James Weldon Johnson said, and man became a living soul. Your soul is going to live eternally. And one day, if you put your faith in Christ, <laughs> you lay down this earthly body, and there'll be a heavenly body, and a heaven, or depending on your choices, I have to tell you, there's a heaven and there's a hell. I don't want to know about that choice. I've decided to make my choice today to follow him. But he gives us eternal life. And that is not only eternal in a sense that life goes on, but it's life with the eternal one. The thought that I, Henry Gladstone Greening, full of inconsistencies and failures and things that too shameful for me to talk about because I have been declared not guilty. Hallelujah! That I can experience forgiveness and grace 
Oh, and it's because of my relationship with the eternal one. I belong to Jesus and he belongs to me. Can somebody say amen this morning? So let me close with this. I, I read this today. Well, not today, but yesterday. And it's uh, a quote by uh, Tim Hansel. He's a pretty popular Christian writer, Tim Hansel is. And he wrote a book called When I Relax, I Feel Guilty. <laughs> this is what he writes. I would like to buy $3 worth of God. Please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I, I don't want enough of him to make me love a black man or pick beets with a migrant. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. <laughs> if we would be totally honest, the thought of transformation scares us. <laughs> That's because we know that that kind of radical change would be very uncomfortable. Because we realize that with transformation comes a major overhaul of our lives and priorities. But God gives us the chance Every single one of us right here, those of us who've been married 30 years, 50 years, just met a couple today who just got engaged. Some of us would like to be engaged. Some of us would like to be disengaged. <laughs> you can't say amen, say, Lord, have mercy. <laughs> But, you know, I want to grow in my aquatic ability. Many of you know that I've embraced uh, going to the gym and swimming. And I, I never really liked the pool, but I'm, I'm using the pool four or five days a week. And I w actually went this morning. And I was in the pool, and I watched, uh, her name is Alice, and I watched her in the pool, and she treads water with her friend, Leslie, and they go all over the, the pool together, her head up above the water, and she just, for her 30 minutes, she just tread water. And so I said, well, I'm going to try that. I tread water for about 10 seconds, and I'm out of breath. <laughs> and uh, so I, I don't really know how to swim that well. So I, have to sw I can do a backstroke, sort of, and so on my back. But I can never see where I'm going. So I, I said to her one day, I said, how do you do that? How could you do it? She said, oh, you know, she said she had a beautiful smile. She said, Henry. When I first started, I could only tread water for about a minute. But she said, just practice, because it's, it's a combination of how you breathe and how you move. And she said, you get the hang of it. So just try it. And so that was at the beginning of the week. And a week has passed, and guess what? At first, I could only do it for about 10 or 15 seconds. Then I could do it for about 30 seconds. Today, I was up there. For about five minutes. <laughs> I want to grow. And as we approach the new year, Mark 
shared some of the things that we're going to do to go out. Some of us are afraid to go out or ashamed to go out because we know that we have not grown. We don't want people to know who we really are. But you get a chance to grow. Just take it a step at a time. This is called River 47. Wherever the river flows, there's life. I invite you to jump in. Take the next step. The next step for you might be just to say, Lord, I need you. I've lived my life like I don't need you, but Lord, I really do. Maybe a step for you is to say, you know, I've got some bitterness deep down inside that I haven't really thoroughly gotten rid of, and I need to give it to you, God. I want to forgive, but I don't know how to do it. But Lord, I believe you. I believe you can touch my heart. I believe you can restore my relationship. For some of you, the next step might be to join a service team. It's not all about you. But for you to say, you know, I just met, where's Glenda? Wave your hand, Glenda. Glenda's new. And she heard that we were going over to Emeritus. And she said, Pastor, I want to go. She said, but Pastor, I cannot sing. (laughs) In fact, every time they're singing, my husband used to tell me, whistle, honey, whistle. (laughs) And you know what? She went over there, and I discovered she can't sing. (laughs) She's a lover. She went over there. And we went into a room, and the woman knocked on the door. To tell you this, I know. Knocked on the door and said, we're going to sing Christmas carols. Would you like us to? And, uh, the woman sat in there. She went, oh. <laughs> so the woman, Angie, said, well, I guess that means yes. So we came into the room, and she walked in the room first. Said, you know, we need to fix up things around here. And she was just complaining. And so we, we all came in, and we, and we started singing. And, and Glenda was one note with the pictures on the wall. Ooh, is this your family? And, and right away, she kind of a connection. And we started singing. I forgot what hymn we were singing. And all of a sudden, this woman reached out, and she took Glenda's hand, and she put, she put her hand, Glenda's hand, on her own forehead. And she just began to hold it. And as we were singing, I could just feel her heart melting. And Glenda was kind of looking up at me like, <laughs> What, what, I, what do I do? You know? But she just stayed there loving that woman. That's a priceless moment. And you know, friends, you've got to be willing to take a step of faith. God is calling us to step out. He came that they might have life. And it starts with me. Bow your heads with me right now. It starts with you. I don't know what your situation is. I don't know where you are. But what a wonderful thing on this Christmas day for you to take that step of faith, whatever it is. Say, Jesus, thank you that you came. Mary's baby who she delivered 
came to deliver me and you and all of us. If you want to experience that resurrection power, that kind of grace in your life while our heads are bowed, I'd like to include you in a prayer. He knows where you are and what you need. And if you want to be included in that prayer, wherever you are, as our heads are bowed, would you just lift up your hands and say, Pastor Henry, I want to take a step. Yes. Yes, son. I'm taking a step of faith. Yes. Father, you know our hearts. You know what we need. Thank you for this moment that we can be with you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.